This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Week four, college football in the books. Currently recording during another doubleheader Monday Night Football to conclude week three of the NFL. Lots to talk about. Big, big weekend of college football. Did not fail to live up to the hype. Two amazing uh, big-time games. We saw Colorado brought back to reality a little bit. Some absolutely amazing rookie performances in the NFL. And here at Saturday Sunday, we're going to break it all down. We're going to do the NFL Draft Report with our SS Teams of the Week. We're going to do the Debbie Slant with our Debbie Team of the Week. And we're going to do the NFL and NFL Dynasty Fantasy Reports as well. Running solo tonight, uh, my man Jeff Abercrombie had quite the sports weekend. He was at ND Ohio State, and then he was at Lions Falcons the following day as well. Back-to-back. Big time games there. Can't wait to just back on the air, hopefully next week. And just to feel what, you know, watching it live, coming down to the wire, that ND Ohio State game uh, was, you know, classic, instant classic right off the bat. So even though he's not here with me tonight, uh, you know, we'll spend maybe the opening segment if he's with me next week, just kind of talking about what that environment was like. You know, as someone who follows ND closely, Florida State and ND have always been my two college football teams. You know, you guys obviously know, you know, diehard Giants fan stuff in the NFL, but Florida State and ND are my are my college teams, and I really thought it was going to be a big weekend for both of them, uh, and we're and we're going to really put them on the map to be legitimate title contenders. Uh, but unfortunately, ND could not get the W at, at the end there. Uh, and Ohio State pulled it out. So let's get right into the NFL draft report for this week. We start with our S2S teams of the week. These are the draft-eligible guys. So let's get it started at the quarterback position. It was Bo Nix out of Oregon. He's the first-string quarterback of the week. He beat Colorado 42-6 to and helped uh, the Oregon Ducks uh, destroy you know, Coach Prime and the Buffaloes, he was 28 of 30 per e for 276 yards and three touchdowns. The first string running back of the week is Jates McClellan out of Alabama. He helped Alabama beat Ole Miss 24 to 10. He had 17 carries, 105 yards and a touchdown. At the wide receiver position, uh, back to that Oregon game, it was Troy Franklin. He had eight catches, 126 yards and two touchdowns. And our first string tight end of the week, Brock Bowers making his debut on the SS teams of the week. Beat, helped Georgia easily beat UAB. Nine catches, 121 yards, and two touchdowns. Let's start with the Ducks. I watched that game wire to wire. It was an absolute offensive clinic by Oregon, by Bo Nix. Troy Franklin showed why he's, you know, probably in the mix to be a top 10 wide receiver in next year's draft class. One of the most exciting wide receivers in college football especially in that offense. Bo Nix was just surgical going up and down the field. Colorado, especially without Travis Hunter, had absolutely no answers to shut down uh, Bo Nix and, you know, the firepower of the Oregon offense. I think now the bigger question is, you know, I mentioned Troy Franklin. He's probably in that day 
two mix. If he doesn't go day two, you know, maybe the frame is a little bit of a concern. He's, I think he's still got to add like 10, 12 pounds to that frame. You know, he's six foot three, but he's just too skinny. Like he's got to, he's got to get to like six three, like 192, 195. And if you could do that, I think we're talking about a guy who locks himself into day two because he's got the explosiveness. He's got the big playability. He can win vertically down the field. You know, he's got good ball skills. So Franklin is a guy who right now it's been about status quo in terms of his draft capital. I, I think he's very much in that round three mix. Maybe, you know, if he falls early round four, but I, I think he's a day two guy. I, I I think he's a guy who very much intrigues me. I think Bo Nix is, is an interesting because I think, you know, we, we've talked so much about Caleb Williams and Drake May as one, two, you know, and I know I listen to the prospect of pros podcast every week with Dame Brugler, you know, who I think is as good as anyone in the business. And they have a segment basically every week. They just talk about who's QB Paris this week, or let's check in on QB Paris. And it's because it's going to be an ongoing thing the entire year. And I think Bo Nix is one of those guys. You know, I'll talk about another one who I personally think should be in the mix as well. But Bo Nix is in that mix as a guy who could be QB Paris and could be a first round pick. And that's wild to think of where, you know, a couple of years ago when he looked like he was just going to completely flame out and not live up to the hype as that major five-star recruit, you know, way back when. And now rejuvenated Oregon, now coming back to school again when last year he probably would have been a day two type pick. And now he might find his way into the mix of the Heisman, into the mix of, you know, the playoffs if the Oregon could continue to do what they're doing. And then at the same time, also maybe catapult his draft stock to be a first round caliber quarterback, to be that QB great. Uh, I know Colorado, like I said, doesn't have much defense, but this is more of a bigger picture uh, for Bo Nix in terms of how high his draft capital could climb uh, compared to where it was just a couple of years ago. It, it's kind of a wild uh, to think of. But, you know, to me, the command he has of that offense, uh, it's not just even in this game. I, You know, you watch him play. He looks like a different player. He doesn't even remotely resemble the player who we had so many question marks at Auburn. Uh, you know, the inaccuracy, the ball placement, the decision-making, you know, you don't see any of that really at, with any type of consistency like you did. Unfortunately, when he was at Auburn, he seems to have really cleaned up the issues in terms of uh, things that we wanted to see him work and improve and development on. And he sure seems like he's done that. So I think he's going to be very much in the mix to be that QB three. I think he's very much in the mix to be a first round quarterback prospect. I think he's very much in the mix to win the Heisman. So impressive performance from him. Jason McClellan, we've kind of been waiting for Alabama. They, you know, listen, even so, Alabama's offense still not what we're accustomed to. But Jason McClellan is is a guy who, you know, shows good athleticism. He's got speed. He's got some power. McClellan is a guy who, you know, when I when the year started, let me just exactly when the year started, he was number ten. So he he was in my top ten running backs. Uh, you know, and this past week, I think showed you know, his type of talent and his type of skill level, even with all Alabama's offense a little bit down this year, you know, they they really relied on him this past weekend, you know, and, and, and like I've mentioned before, I think he's a day three type prospect. So I think he's more of like that round five, round four, round five, you know, but he's capable of playing on all three downs. He can run inside, he can run outside, he can run gap, he can run zone, you know, so that's an intriguing skill set for somebody. So we'll see if he can kind of, use this week as a little bit of a momentum to to kind of see his draft stock kind of solidify. It's either an early day three, you know, or with the Alabama bump, could he even move up? You know, that'll be something that we'll follow closely. But he was our RB one of this week. And then, 
the tight end, Brock Bowers, listen, there's not much to say. I think the question mark is how high does he go? You know, even with even as we've seen question marks about Kyle Pitts, is he ever going to live up to the draft capital, you know, that, that people use on him, right? Like, legitimate questions, right? He was taken, you know, ahead of, you know, flat-out superstars, right? He was taken, you know, ahead of guys like Devonta Smith and, and Jalen Waddell and, and so many other elite playmakers in, in that class. And now, where does Brock Bowers lie? Is he top five? I doubt it. Is he top 10? Maybe. Is he top 15? Yeah, I kind of feel like I think his sweet spot's going to be somewhere in that 11 to 15 range, you know, based on how many quarterbacks, you know, and, and we'll see. But I think right now I would say I feel pretty confident he'll go in the top 15. Could he push his way into the back end of the top 10? I don't think it's impossible, um, but we'll see. So if we go to the second string team of the week, at the quarterback, it's Jordan Travis out of Florida State. He becomes in 31-24 in overtime. He was 21 of 37, 289 yards, two touchdowns. Also showed his athleticism, his running, uh, his running ability in terms of the mobility to move around in the pocket, playoff structure. Uh, impressive win for Florida State, an impressive game for Jordan Travis. The second string running back of the week was Travion Henderson out of Ohio State. He helped. And the, he helped Ohio State beat ND 17-14. He had 14 carries, 104 yards, and a touchdown. Keon Coleman back in that Florida State game. He was the second string wide receiver of the week. Five catches, 86 yards, two touchdowns in helping Florida State uh, beat Clemson, one of their biggest wins in years. And then at the tight end position, Jatavian Sanders out of Texas helped easily the Longhorns beat Baylor 38-6. He had another five catches, 110 yards. He's putting up receiving production on that level like consistently and for a tight end that's remarkable uh you know listen Jordan Travis I mentioned before Bo Nix and QB Paris I think Jordan Travis is in the mix I think he very much could be in the mix to be QB Paris in this class I think he does when I watch him play like this is a lot of I, I compared him in the B before the season started I said listen last year I said that Jaron Jaron Hall was like the discount version of Bryce Young I think Jordan Travis falls between Jaron Hall and Bryce Young last year in terms of how much I like them. I like them way more than Jordan, uh, way more than Jaron Hall, not as much as obviously as Bryce Young. But I think if as Florida State continues to have this year, that I think I think there's a legit chance they're favored every game the rest of the year. Uh, you know, obviously they have games against Miami. That's a dangerous game, big rivalry. They have a game against Florida, big rivalry. Uh, you know, and then they have a game against Duke, which as we've seen, is it, they're not a pushover this year, but they're going to be favored in every game. And if they can take care of business, I think you're going to be seeing Florida State, you know, in the the, the playoff picture. And that's going to give Jordan Travis a lot of spotlight to continue to rise his, his you know, draft capital. And the stardom on him is going to have a chance to really shine during this process. And listen, I just think the the combination of athleticism Mobility, plano structure, arm talent, accuracy, and ball placement. There's a lot to like about Jordan Travis. And he's finally putting it together. He's finally showing more consistency at times this year. And now we're seeing him make big plays in big moments. And and I think that, you know, speaks volumes on Jordan Travis. You know, this is now, you know, earlier in the year we saw a big performance from him in, in a big spot if they started out really sluggish that that first opening game. And now this past week against Clemson, we're seeing him rise up to the occasion. Travion Henderson still right in the mix to potentially be RB1 in this class. I think it's wide open. I know I like Trey Benson a lot before the season started, but he has really not shown me nearly as much in the early going for Florida State this year. 
Uh, so I, I, I can't think it's him. Like, you know, so you're talking after that, it's Blake Corum, his teammate, Diamond Edwards, but Blake Corum's clearly outplayed him. You know, then you go down to, you know, uh, Braylon Allen and Raheem Sanders and Travion Henderson, you know, and if it's not Blake Corum right now, it might still be Travion Henderson. If it's not, you know, one of the bigger guys in, in Sanders or Allen right now. So it's, it's, you know, Henderson, you know, had that big play, that long touchdown, showing that speed, showing that explosion, showing that athleticism. That, that we haven't seen as much since that freshman year when he just looked like he was going to be locked in to be like RB1 whenever he was draft eligible, and here we are. Uh, but he still has big playability. He still has explosiveness. He's got that burst. He's got that acceleration. Uh, I think Henderson's going to be very much in the mix to be top three, top five, maybe even top one running back in the 2024 draft class. And Keon Coleman, listen, I think now the question starts to become a Keon Coleman is, is can he push... Uh, Emeka Bukwa, Ekbukwa, can he push Malik Neighbors? Can he push those guys to be wide receiver two in this class? Because I think he's in. I think he's in the mix. I, I I truly believe he's already now in that four hole with those guys. If you want to say Harrison Jr., Ekbukwa, Malik Neighbors, in some order as your one, two, three, then I think Coleman is right there. But I think Coleman offers a skill set on the outside that is different than Neighbors. It is different than Ekbukwa. Uh, so, you know, if a team wants that inside outside versatility, you know, after Marvin Harrison Jr., listen, I can get it then. Emeka Egbuka is, is your guy. Malik Neighbors offers that inside outside versatility. But if you want a true outside the numbers wide receiver with big playability, the prototype, that might be Keon Coleman. Like that's, he, he he's a special player and, and we're seeing it. And I talked about Jordan Travis is going to get a lot of opportunity this year to shine. So is Keon Coleman in these big spots. Uh, I think the the gap between him and Johnny Wilson, his teammate, is already widening as I watch these guys. I like Johnny Wilson as a prospect, but I think he's more of a round three, early round four guy. I think he's round three. I think other people might even think round four. But I think Keon Coleman, to me, sharpie it in, like I said, after his opening week performance, he's going round one. Wide receivers with that speed, with that athleticism, with that ball skills, they're going round one. As Jeff pointed out, you know, in the beginning of the year, yeah, we want to see development. We want to see growth. We want to see refinement for sure. But Coleman right now, really impressive uh, for sure. A couple honorable mentions before we transition to the Debbie report with the Yes to S Debbie team of the week. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd at USC helped uh, the Trojans easily beat up Arizona State 42 28. He had 14 carries for a buck 54 and a touchdown, formerly of South Carolina, transferred there. Going to get every opportunity in that high-powered offense to put together a really good statistical year, and I think see him solidify a draft spot, you know, somewhere on day three. And then we talked about him. Had to talk about him again. Roma Dunze out of Washington. The the Huskies just continue to roll on offense. Michael Panix continues to roll at the quarterback position. And Odunze, five catches, 122 yards, and two touchdowns. He's the guy that makes up the rest of my top five. Right? We talked about Marvin Harrison. I mentioned Egbuka before. I mentioned Neighbors. We mentioned Keon Coleman. Roma Dunze is my guy. He's my other guy who's in my top five. It's going to be hard-pressed for somebody to crack that top five that that is not those guys. You know, if they all declare, me, it's a clear it's a clear drop after them. I like Xavier Wordy, but to me, he's not on the level of, of the guys in, in, in my top five. And then we start talking about guys like Johnny Wilson, J. Michael Sturdivan, Jason McClellan, I mean, Jalen McC- uh, McMillan, Malachi Corley. But to me, the top five 
and then Worthy's kind of just almost in his own tier. The top five to me very much solidified. I'm not sure uh, I'm going to come off of, of that five pack. We'll say in Harrison, Neighbors, Coleman, Egbuka, uh, and Odunze. You know, to me, if they're all in it, they're going to be my top five wide receivers. I'd be surprised if somebody catapults over them. That's how much I really like that. And usually the wide receiver position, I feel like there's a lot of movement and a lot of up and down. But these five guys, I really feel strong about. These guys are round one caliber players. We have size in this mix between Harrison and Coleman and Odunze. We haven't had guys like that in round one with outside prototypes in a while. And the neighbors and the Buka are a little bit more of what we've had over the last couple of years. But even them, I think they offer way more inside-outside versatility than like the most recent class with like Addison and Flowers and and and, and those guys. So it'd be interesting to kind of follow this wide receiver group for sure. Let's take this to the Debbie Slant where we give our SS Debbie team of the week. We got a quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. Nothing really stood out the tight end position, so it wasn't going to force it. At the quarterback position, listen, we could have went Drew R out of Penn State. They had a great performance against Iowa. He had four touchdowns. Uh, could have went Cape Klubnik out of Clemson, who almost pulled off the, the win against Florida State. But I wanted to bring up Jalen Milrow out of Alabama. Helped Alabama beat Ole Miss. He got the starting job back. He went 17 of 21, 225 yards. Also showed his you know athleticism, 28 yards rushing. I want to bring him to the forefront because I feel like you know, it's been a rough start for Alabama. It's not all on Milrow's, you know, plate. I, I think he's still a guy who I think we're going to hear from in, in the Debbie community. I think he's a guy that we're going to see growth and development. And, you know, he's a guy who can run. He's got the the athleticism and, and the arm talent. So Jalen Milrow is a guy who, yeah, he's not looked at as like a top Debbie guy for sure. But but I think he was really solid this past week in, in finally giving Alabama a good quarterback performance. And to kind of introduce him to the show a little bit uh, and bring up a new name, that's where I went at the quarterback position. The running back of the week on the SS Debbie Team of the Week is a Penn State underclassman, but it's not the guy who most expect Nicholas Singleton. It's Katron Allen. He had 21 carries for 72 yards, but more big picture. Singleton has not been the work workhorse. You know, Allen, uh, you know, while he might not be near the top of, Den- uh, of Debbie running back ranks, uh, like his, you know, running mate there in Singleton. Allen is a guy that is is well regarded in the Debbie community as well. And I thought it was, I thought it was worth putting him on the list here to acknowledge that he has 280 yards rushing already and two touchdowns. And that's playing in in you know in uh, together you know with Singleton you know as, as the guy who you know most look at as the you know arguably the top. Uh, running back in all of Debbie, Nicholas Singleton, you know, Katron Allen is number 11 for me. And I always skew more towards the, uh, the guys who are draft eligible. So, you know, in that top 11, there's only three that are non, you know, draft eligible, Nicholas Singleton, uh, Branson Robinson at Georgia and Katron Allen out of Penn state. You know, that's, that just shows you, you know, the thought process there a little bit for sure. If we, Take this now away from, and then I'm oh, sorry, and then the wide receiver, you know, of of for the Debbie team of the week is again Luther Burden out of Missouri. You know, one more to say, you know, 34-27 win over Kentucky. You know, ten catches over 170 yards just continues to show why he is one of the top Debbie wide receivers in the nation. 
Uh, you know, for me, he's number six right now. But again, that's kind of skewing towards the draft guys. So I have the top four from this draft class. Then I have, you know, Evan Stewart at five, Luton, Luther Burden at six, and then Roma Dunes at seven, you know, and then Ted McMillan, who we talked about last week at eight, and then Zachariah Branch at nine, Travis Hunter. You know, it's kind of like a, a little insight there to my top 10 Debbie wide receivers. Uh, but Burden is a guy that he's going to be, he's going to be looked at as Stone Cold Lock round one type talent. Uh, when he is draft eligible for sure. So let's take it away from the college game. A lot to talk about there. We we talked about them for about 20 minutes. So let's take it to the NFL side of this. And let's start with the NFL rookie report. Uh, four week three. CJ Stroud leads the Texans to a big, big time win over Jacksonville. He was 20 of 30, 280 yards and two touchdowns. All the narrative around C.J. Stroud, it almost seems laughable with how good he's looked. And remember, here at Saturday Sunday, we talked about it. That performance against Georgia, to me, just elevated what I thought about C.J. Stroud because I loved the passing ability. I thought he was the best natural passer in this group. When you combine you know, ball placement, accuracy, arm talent, and size, frame. But that game against Georgia last year in the playoffs, to me, just showed a more complete player, a guy that could play when his offensive line didn't make things perfect for him, which it usually was at Ohio State. And I think that's what we're seeing here. The Texans offensive line has been decimated by injuries, but it has not slowed down C.J. Stroud at all. He has risen up. They feel comfortable putting a lot on his plate, and he is just delivering pass after pass, big-time pass after big-time pass, and keeping the Texans in games, and then this past week getting a big win over Jacksonville where they were like, I believe they were like eight or nine point underdogs. It's been a really impressive start to C.J. Stroud's career. On the flip side, you know, Bryce Young missed this game due to injury. He has not looked like the player that we've seen in Alabama. Now, I know it's really early. He seems really small out there, and I know I heard the guys over at Established Run, Evan Silva, Levitat, they've said it as well, you know, it's noticeable. He looks really small out there. And then maybe it's just because he's not delivering right now. Their wide receivers are, are shaky. You know, but it's not like C.J. Stroud's in this ideal, pristine, you know, situation. Terrible offensive line. Wide receivers are, are you know, he's got a young one I'm going to talk about momentarily and another relatively young player, Nico Collins. But it's not like he's sitting there playing with like Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson. So, yeah, you could talk about the wide receivers from Houston you know, to Carolina, and yeah, the Houston ones, are, I think, are a little better, but that Stroud's dealing with a lot of adversity, too, and he's rising up, and, and right now, he looks like the one who has transitioned way faster from the Saturday game to the Sunday game, you know, than, than his running mate there, Bryce Young. Uh, the running back position, you know, this was the week. This was the week, you know, for a year plus here at Saturday, Sunday, we talked about Devin A. Chain. And we talked about how special of a player we thought he can be. I said, to me, he reminded me so much, you know, of C.J. Johnson, you know, you know, Chris Johnson, you know, see the explosiveness, the burst, the the acceleration, big play waiting to happen. I didn't care about the size and the frame. We live in a different world with a different NFL than we did 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. In this today's NFL, Devin A. Chain works. And what we saw this past week, 18 carries for 203 yards and two touchdowns. 
four catches for 30 yards and two more touchdowns in his first real extensive use of work. He went for 233 total yards and four touchdowns. We said it on draft weekend. There wasn't one pick out of, I think, the 250, whatever there was, eight, nine, whatever it was this year. There wasn't one other pick in the entire draft that was a more perfect marriage between player and team scheme. And that was this. Mike McDaniel, that that Dolphins, formerly of the 49ers, outside zone run scheme. You had Devin A. Chain to Mike McDaniel's play calling, that run scheme with the speed that Waddle and Hill possess and what that does to a defense. And you throw Devin A. Chain. They dropped a 70 spot on a, on another NFL team this weekend, Denver Broncos, and it was without Jalen Waddle there. You are not going to be able to give Devin Aitchie much attention because if you do, Jalen Waddle and Terry Kill are going to make you pay. And then when you do, you worry so much about them, it's going to be Devin Aitchie is going to be the guy. All he needs is 10 to 13 touches a week, and you're talking about an impactful fantasy player. That's why I kept I was on record as saying A, I should have thought I thought he should have been an early second round pick. Early second round were similar to where Breeze Hall and Kenneth Walker went the year before. And two, I said he was the clear RB three, and he was closer to Jameer Gibbs than anybody was to him. I think we're gonna we've already seen it, and I don't think it's even gonna be close. The talent disparity between Devin A. Chain and Zach Charbonnet and Kendra Miller or anybody else is going to be stark. Charbonnet, there's there's Zach Charbonnet's, and I like them the player, solid player, but there's Zach Charbonnet's every draft class. There's Kendra Miller's every draft class. Guys that profile somewhat similarly. Devin A-Chains, they are not Devin A-Chains. Not with his explosion, acceleration, burst. What we saw at Texas A&M last year was a guy who could handle workload, run between the tackles, be more physical than we, we even gave him credit for. Make people miss in the open field. Footwork, the agility, the elusiveness. You combine all that where he is, stock up on Devin A. Chain. If anybody's still a doubter, go buy him in your league. Don't sell low on him because we're talking about a guy who is going to be in that offense where they know how to scheme guys up and they know how to maximize strengths. He could be a flat-out superstar in that offense. And I thought it might take him half a year, a year to really get consistent touches. That's out the window now. You don't put up you don't put up 233 all-purpose yards on, on 22 touches and then go back to getting four touches a week. You just don't do it. So unbelievable Devin A. Chain at the wide receiver position, Tank Dell. We talked about CJ Stroud. Now Tank Dell. Five catches, 145 yards, and one touchdown. This wide receiver class is turning into a spectacular group. Puka Naku and Tank Dell. We're talking a late third round and a fifth round pick. They're exploding onto the scene. Zay Flowers has been unbelievable. Jordan Addison's looked good. We haven't even seen Jackson Smith and the Jigba do anything yet. Jalen Hyatt barely plays, and when he's done, he's, he's made two impactful plays for the Giants. Marvin Mims not playing a lot. This wide receiver class has turned into a special group. I, every year we just get these wide receiver groups, and I didn't even I had my reservations about how impactful they could be, but now, wow, Tank Dell... Right now, I had my questions about Quinton Johnson. We're going to talk about him momentarily here in the Dynasty Report. But Tank Dell, give me Tank Dell over Quinton Johnson. I've already seen enough. I have my reservations about Quinton Johnson. I I think they're going to come to fruition. And even if he outplays what I expect of him, 
I still have my reservations on how the impact he's going to make. I think Tank Dell is going to make as much of an impact as guys like Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison. That's what I think of him right now. I He's playing outside. They said from the, when the minute they drafted him, they looked at him as more like a Hollywood Brown with outside versus out, inside-outside versatility who can play on the outside. He's not a gadget player. He's a legitimate outside wide receiver for them right now who kicks inside, can be a vertical slot. You can't cover him. I don't care about his size. So stock up on Tank Dell. I'd buy him if people are still have reservations about the size. You can't cover him. You can't cover him. The connection him and CJ Stroud have is already special. And then tight end position, Sam Laporta. Eight catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown. I'm going to bring him up in the section in the, in, the, in the Dynasty Report as well. But Sam Laporta, I mean, this guy, we don't see rookie tight ends usually do this. He's very much involved. We'll see if it changes a lot when Jameson Williams comes back from the suspension. But, I mean, right now, you know, the Cats kind of had a bag with Laporta too. Like, he's an integral part of that team. You know, we have not seen anything of Michael Mayer right now. You know, Laporta's been balling out. You know, Kincaid's had moments. Musgrave's a, a integral part of, of the Green Bay pass offense, even though they just haven't had to put up a lot of volume there yet. Uh, this tight end class is looking star-studded, but Laporta right now, you know, looks like on a trajectory, you know, I think the question is more how high can he push himself into the, the dynasty tight end ranks? And I think it's a valid question. I'm going to kind of use that as my jumping off point to transition over to the NFL fantasy dynasty report for the week. These rookie tight ends, Laporta and Kincaid in particular, I think they have a legit chance sooner rather than later to jump into the top five, six of dynasty tight end rankings. I think most people's tight end rankings probably had them in like the 8, 9, or 10 range, maybe 11, somewhere between 8 and 11 before the season started, I think now you're talking about how high could they go? Because there's question marks all over the place. Goddard is older than we think because he waited behind Zach Ertz for that long. He's not locked into a huge role because I I think the offense is going to run through A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith for the foreseeable future. By the time it doesn't, Goddard's going to be a much older player. So I think you could make the case sooner rather than later that Laporta and Kincaid deserve to be over Dallas Goddard. I, Darren Waller, we expected for for Darren Waller to be above those guys, he needed one or two star-studded years. Now, right now, Giants have a lot of issues going on. I still think Darren Waller is going to put together a productive year, but if these old line issues, if if, Darren, if Daniel Jones continues to have no time or, and or he continues to struggle, you know, Darren Waller might not have that top three, top four tight end year. And that was the reason why you would have had him ahead of Sam Laporta and Dalton Kincaid because you were banking on Darren Waller being elite this year and maybe next year before the age really started to set in. So there, George Kittle, he's just soon to be 30 years old. There's limited volume to go around there. Like this week, he looked really good, but Brandon Oak was out, right? So I think there's question marks on, on how much longer should George Kittle be above these guys. And then Kyle Pitts. Like, are we so sure Kyle Pitts is a better player than Sam Laporta and Dalton Kincaid? We know what he did his rookie year. But this is now two years later. They don't seem to want to use him a lot. They 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 seem to be taking him off the field for more snaps than we expected at times. He doesn't get the target share that we, that we thought. So, like, yeah, I understand where he was taken, and that's why I think he's still ahead for some people. But how much longer? So that's what I'm saying. I think you look at a scenario where these guys... Laporta and Kincaid for now. Let's see some more statistical numbers before we talk about Musgrave up in this next year. I think he's definitely in the low tight end mix right now. But like, he might not be that far off of Laporta and Kincaid being looked at as two top five or top six, you know, overall dynasty tight ends. And that's remarkable coming from one draft class. And these guys were second round. These guys were 
Kincaid went in the round one, you know, in the 20s, and then Laporta went early second round, and they have transitioned very fast to being integral parts of their team's pass offense. So I think that's something that speaks volumes. Uh, other things I want to talk about in the NFL Dynasty Report, Mike Williams, unfortunately, torn ACL. Really hurts his dynasty stock. There's no way around it. He has one year left on his contract, but the Chargers can get out uh, relatively easy without much of a cap hit. They might easily do that, and then maybe he comes back, uh, you know, on on some type of other deal off the injury. But I think I think the writing's on the wall, especially with the drafting of Quinton Johnson in round one. Mike Williams is already 28 years old, so we're talking age 29 next year. Uh, coming off this ACL injury, you know, I, I think it's a it was a big big. Uh, Loss for Mike Williams, obviously getting hurt, but the dynasty uh, effect of it as well is you're talking about a guy who I think really goes from maybe this year being a top 20 overall wide receiver to a guy that I think there's great questions about what does his future hold. If he leaves the Chargers, you know, right now he's got a great setup there, great young quarterback. You know, it might he might take the money coming off of this injury. He might end up on a bad team or a bad quarterback. You don't know. So I think there's a lot of question marks about Mike Williams. We'll see about Quinton Johnston. Can he show off like we've seen so many of these young wide receivers from this rookie class? I have my reservations. I think he could be okay. I think he could be average to good. I don't think he, I I don't see a superstar. I didn't see a superstar in college. I didn't see him constantly live up, you know, to that size and frame. And and I had a lot of concerns about route running and and some, you know, drops and stuff. So we'll see. He's going to get every opportunity. But right now he's not even ahead of Josh Palmer. I would expect that to change pretty soon. The Chargers should expect it to change pretty soon when you're talking about a guy they drafted as high as they did in Johnston. Uh, The quarterback position, I think we talked about the Justin Fields thing last year, last week, so I'm not going to get into it. But I think it's also a little bit time to talk about his his cohort from that draft class. That was Trevor Lawrence, right? Listen, Trevor Lawrence has been good, but he hasn't been great yet in the NFL. You know, he, he hasn't been an elite player yet. He's been a good player. We kind of threw out that first year with Urban Meyer. You know, last year, things kind of started to settle back in. And I think everyone this year thought he was going to take that next step. And I'm not sure. Like, I think he can. I I, I believe in the player. But, like, this past week, like, a game against the Texans, you can't lose that game. If you're an elite quarterback, you're playing a team that you, that is inferior to you. And Trevor Lawrence just hasn't really been that good this year. I mean, Calvin Ridley made him look great the first week of the season. But since then, like, there's been a lot of, like, inconsistency with Trevor Lawrence. We haven't seen that. So, yeah, I think he's always going to be a good fantasy player. I just think a lot of people, myself included, thought maybe we'd start to see him take steps this year to be a great fantasy player. And I think now we're starting to have questions. Like, last week I moved Anthony Richardson above Justin Fields. This week I'm moving Anthony Richardson. We didn't even play this week due to a concussion above Trevor Lawrence. Because I don't know... I think the ceiling for Anthony Richardson is just higher than those two, especially in the fantasy realm. And we need to see Trevor Lawrence take the next step and be then what Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are, are in the NFL. And I think he could still do that. And if he could do that, then maybe he recatapults over Anthony Richardson until we see more out of Richardson. But I don't. I thought he was going to hit the ground running this year, and I thought we were going to see Trevor Lawrence resemble like peak just, uh, Justin Herbert, peak Joe Burrow, in terms of what we what we were going to see from him, we just haven't seen it yet. And then on the other side, Ken Walker. Ken Walker's dynasty value last year when the season ended was probably somewhere in that like top five to eight dynasty running back. And again, it all depends on you know how people you know do they have guys like Saquon Barkley or Austin Eckler you know ahead of younger guys. I think is the question. 
But Kenneth Walker was in the mix to be a top five, top eight dynasty running back. I thought he was unbelievable last year. Uh, and then obviously people were scared off by the Zach Charbonnet pick. And listen, I was never a Charbonnet guy. I thought he was a good player, not a great player. I thought he was a late round three, early round four pick. And then Charbonnet gets taken in the second round. And then the questions on Kenneth Walker start to come to, you know, start to come out there. And to me, the talent gap is so wide between those players. So wide. Zach Charbonnet is a between the tackles, thumper, physical guy. To me, he's not all that different than Brian Robinson, Damian Pierce. Nice player. Zach Charbonnet can do what Damian Pierce did last year. He can do what Brian Robinson's doing this year. I have a little doubt. I actually think I even like Charbonnet a tad more than those guys. And, the, and that's fine. But but to me, Ken, Zach Charbonnet is much closer to Brian Robinson, Damian Pierce, you know, A.J. Dillon. This year he's looked really bad, Dillon, but earlier in his career, I, I thought he was fine. Kent Walker is a totally different player. Kent Walker is an explosive back with elite burst, acceleration, speed, home run threat. He's not even, the, the talent gap between those two guys is wide, in my opinion. And right now, I think Kenneth Walker is just ripping it open to even be wider. And I'm not sure, Zach, and without an injury, I'm not so sure how much Zach Charbonnet is going to start eating into him. I know Kenneth Walker has had some inefficiencies here or there, but the explosive player that he is, I think, keeps him such a wider gap. Zach Charbonnet is not going to have the explosive big runs, not the NFL. It, in college, sure, UCLA had gaping wide lanes to run through. Nobody in the Pac-12 plays defense. It's not going to be like that in the NFL. But 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 Kenneth Walker is just, he's as gifted and as talented. He's in the mix of the top five, top six most talented running backs in football. Zach Charbonnet is never going to be that, in my opinion, just based on his natural traits. So Kenneth Walker is a guy, if there are still people even remotely concerned about Zach Charbonnet maybe hurting Kenneth Walker's value, I'd start to appropriately value Kenneth Walker as a top eight to ten dynasty running back would upside even go higher i'd be uh, uh, valuing him that way and going to get him if the guy who has him is not because he's scared of zach charbonnet that would be my take for that so there it is guys nfl dynasty fantasy report for this week nfl rookie report on top of you know the nfl draft rookie report and debbie slam with our ss teams of the week for week four if you're enjoying this coverage please get over to the website ss football fastest and easiest way to get there for $9.99 you can get all our premium content the SS no, uh, scouting notebook with almost 100 detailed player profiles strengths weaknesses fundamental areas developmental areas NFL roles scheme fit fantasy spin uh, you get our NFL uh, you get the SS rankings notebook all our different types of rankings draft eligible Devi uh, NFL rookie rankings overall positional dynasty rankings and then in April, you get the NFL Draft Projections Notebook as well. Best way to support the show. Help us to continue to do what we do here at Saturday to Sunday. So, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>